Welcome to Culture FC, the weekly soccer show that's not really about soccer. We cover lifestyle, fashion, music, all the things surrounding the beautiful game, just none of the results happening on the pitch. And my name is Louie, and I am joined here by my amazing co-hosts, Brendan and Mikey. Hey, y'all. What's good? And I told you guys we were going to have a surprise coming this week, and we are joined by our newest co-host, Eggy. Say what up, man. What's up, guys? Finally made it out. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcasting app. It really helps us rank a little bit higher. It means that more people can find us, and it just means the world to us. You can also find us on Instagram at culturef.c for behind-the-scenes stuff about the podcast. We post some stuff there. And you can also follow us on our main Instagram at Trouble Soccer. We post a lot more funny, interesting stuff on that Instagram as well, so give us a follow there. Our Twitter handle is also at Trouble Soccer. We've been slacking hardcore on our Twitter, but we are planning on starting to use it a lot more so give us a follow there if you want to have conversations with us we're going to be posting polls and doing some interesting stuff on twitter so check us out there enough of my rambling let's jump into this week's show Alrighty, guys, before we get into this week's show, I really just wanted to give Eggy a chance here to tell our listeners a little bit about himself, a little bit about his soccer journey. Uh, so, Egg, let everybody know uh, who do you support and why, and why do you like soccer? Oh, easy. Uh, I support the greatest club in the world, Chelsea Football Club. <laughs> I saw that face. Chill out. Uh, huge Chelsea guy. Started loving them once Fernando Torres came over. Loved them in the World Cup. Luckily transferred away from Liverpool, so I didn't have to deal with that mess. And now I'm an avid Chelsea supporter. Here I am. So you, as well as Mikey, have a tattoo of your club on your body somewhere? I do, yeah. I have the Chelsea logo on my back. On your back. On my and, back, yeah. uh, To what scale is it on your back? Uh, Pretty it's, big? It's about the size of a, of a common hand, I'd say. Size common of hand. the common hand. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Mikey actually went and got them together. Oh, that's what happened. Oh, yeah. You omitted that. Yeah, it was a date. We went there. Okay, so what is the size of the common hand? I'm a little confused. <laughs> okay, size of my hand. How about that? Okay. If we all have the same, same size hand, then it's common hand, right? <laughs> the haters. Shaq, if you're listening, <laughs> it's not that big. I should measure my tattoo. That's a great question. I actually don't even know the answer to that. Okay, guys, enough comparing sizes. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's move into the news topics for this week. There's two juicy, juicy stories out there in the world of women's soccer uh, that I think would be really important for us to kind of cover. So the first one is... Uh, there is a 13-year-old, her name is Olivia Moultrie, if I'm butchering her name, I'm sorry, but she is a 13-year-old who is trying to become a professional soccer player, and actually, she kind of is a professional soccer player. She actually just signed a contract with Nike, and if you actually saw one of Nike's uh, commercials during, I believe, the uh, the Grammys, the Emmys, what was the recent show, the the one with the award show? I'm pretty sure it was the Grammys. The, wasn't it the one about... Whatever the recent, most recent award show was. Golden Globes? Oscars? <laughs> whatever I think it actually might have been Oscars. Okay, anyway, whatever it was, uh, Nike aired a commercial all about uh, women in sports. And weirdly enough, I didn't know this, but she actually, uh, Olivia Moultrie was actually in this commercial. This is a 13-year-old girl who was literally featured in a commercial with some of the greatest women athletes in history. So, like, it should already start raising some eyebrows about who she is, why she does what she does, but she finds herself in a very interesting situation where she wants to forego her college education to try to become a professional right off of the bat, as in like right now. Uh, but weirdly enough, the NWSL doesn't even have laws or rules that would even kind of allow her to play. Um, and so she finds herself in the situation where she wants to be a pro. She's good enough to be a pro. She's just 
phenomenal. You can actually see some of her videos on Instagram, on Facebook, and, and, and all over YouTube. It's, she's crazy good. Um, and they don't have rules that allow her to play. So it's this very weird situation because it's like, how do you allow a 13-year-old girl to play professional sports with a bunch of other adult-aged women? Um, especially because the NWSL has a rule saying that you have to be 18 to play in their league. Um, but I kind of want to get you guys' thoughts on it and what you thought about the whole situation. Olivia also uh, verbally accepted a scholarship to play for University of North Carolina at the age of 11. So right Jesus. off the bat, that kind of was like, whoa, she's got to be pretty good. You know what's crazy about that? What? Her deal with Nike is worth more than her college scholarship was going to be. Whoa. So yeah, they're saying that she her the the value of her contract is something along the lines of like over three hundred thousand dollars, which is like the equivalent of four years at a major university. Um, so of course they're not going to disclose the exact details of how much like Nike are paying her for like you know using her in adverts and all of this, but she is thirteen years old, making a ton of money from Nike. Like this is kind of crazy. And good for him. But what a brand like Nike to have backing. You know what I mean? Like there can't be much stronger brands in the world to back you. Yeah, and uh, she was also taken out of school at a pretty early age. I think it was seven, and uh, part homeschool, part intensive soccer training, which it seems to have paid off big time. Now, do we think that the parents are living vicariously through? If I had to guess, I'd say yeah, a little bit. You have a kid, you want the best for them, but you definitely wanna, you definitely want them to do something you couldn't do. My take on that aspect of the story is is the fact that. In Europe, kids who are playing like soccer, they grow up playing soccer. They'll sign like youth boy contracts. They'll sign like, you know, school or sorry, school boy contracts where they're, you know, they play for the club and like they partially go to school or there's like a, a specific like arrangement between club and the local school that will allow these kids. Like, for example, if any of you guys are Manchester United supporters or even watched the game yesterday, fuck Mikey. Yuck. Um, woo! Manchester United's youth player, Mason Greenwood, is 17 years old. And after they beat PSG la- uh, last week, he actually had to go back the following day and take a test. So, like, dude traveled to Paris as a professional soccer player, had to go back to high school two days later to do a test. Like, so it is common for uh, there to be this kind of more intensive soccer training than we're kind of used to in America, where it's like, in America, typically people will go, okay, I'm going to school, they're out at three, and then they go to practice from like five to six, but... For other people around the world, it's actually much more intense than that. It's like they train all day along with trying to fit in school. Uh, Soccer kind of is more of a focus. So does that change how you guys view? Um, So basically the question is, is it right or wrong that her parents took her out of school to homeschool her to allow her for more intensive soccer training? I don't believe so at all. Um, From what I've read, her father is very involved in everything she does. He runs her social medias. Um, he's gotten her chances to train with big women's team like Lyon, PSG, clubs like that that win European competitions, stuff like that. Um, no, I actually don't believe. You know what I mean? Like that's the right choice for me. Yeah, I'm kind of with Mikey on this one. I think if she's truly talented and truly has a skill, it's definitely the right choice. Think of someone like Messi, for example. He left Argentina at a, I don't know the age off the top of my head, but sure it was like eleven, right? At a young, young preteen age, and look at him. You think Messi has any regrets about leaving? Absolutely not. Exactly. So if this girl has a talent to back, to back what she's going for, then I, absolutely it's the right call. Yeah, I guess that's just kind of like what Louis described, like the golden days of us going daily to practice after school, and not even like the good kids, 
not to say we weren't good, but no, um, <laughs> the good kids even dude, like they, they were doing like far in, more intensive training, but they were still going to school daily. So imagine if you were to give some of those kids we grew up with the opportunity that this girl has and people in Europe have, I think you've kind of swayed my opinion on the fact of living vicariously. Cause I mean, it had to have been mostly her decision like she wouldn't like i'm sure as if like any parent would do like if this is what you really want to do like let's do it so and some people might argue that you know she was only like you know seven so it's you can't can you really yeah, make right. a decision but what you have to remember is that homeschooling isn't that weird like yeah we might think it's weird from like a cultural standpoint but it's not out of the normal like people do it so it's not like she's not getting an education the only thing that she's probably not dealing with is the bullshit life of having to go to class and having to be like you know wasting time going to and from school which all, all honestly all it's doing is just giving her more time to practice which i think like i said the 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 leo messi example is probably the most apt i mean of course like he went to a ready-built school in barcelona where he was living training and studying uh la masia so you know in America, we don't have that. We don't have these clubs that have like living quarters that have these like places that are ready built for children. And I think maybe it's time to change that, right? I don't know. I think maybe this is this is a step in the right direction because, like I said at the beginning, this is something that's brand new. This has never been a problem, really. Um, and it's just it's going to force a lot of change when people have to make decisions about whether or not Olivia will be able to play professionally. Will she be able to? suit up in the nwsl or go overseas it's a matter of like laws are gonna have to change i completely agree it's just like freddie adu the mls changed their rules for freddie adu yeah he was 16 but he was 14 actually really yeah, yeah. oh my god now? where is he now true he's, he's playing he was playing for the las vegas lights last i looked oh really yeah well, he's probably like 24 now <laughs> he's, he's actually like 28 <laughs> but yeah I but guess yeah, that, but that is You're a cautionary wrong. tale, right? In a way, like if you were to look at Freddie Adu, could she? But then again, I think about it. If she's this dedicated and she has the right support system around her, hopefully she won't be another Freddie Adu. Freddie, don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. But All right, I think too in in our in our 2019 ways. This girl probably has already met with a lot of like comments and a lot of concerned people like to bring the style of European like academy or just like the that kind of fundamental kind of uh, that kind of structure to the United States. I think would also be met with just as much fire and uproar as people would be like, why are they not studying more? Like, well, this can't happen. Like, look at our professionals already. They went to school. So, well, but uh, what I find funny is that this is going to start getting into a whole conversation about fucking college sports and people getting. <laughs> yeah. Paid, but, <laughs> yep. but oh, yeah. If the way I see it is this, is that I think that in America we have athletics and uh, education so tied into one another because it's been how the country has existed for over a hundred and whatever years we've been having college athletics. But it's like there's already a huge debate right now about people paying college athletes because clearly someone is benefiting from these people being athletes, but it's not these students. So I think that there definitely needs to be a split from the education of academics to the education of a sport and allow people to 
pursue them individually and I have to tie them together. I find it super wrong that players like Zion Williamson are not allowed to get paid despite the fact that Duke and UNC will sell out a game and they'll be charging $5,000 a ticket for this game. Or of course, that's like resale or whatever, but like people are benefiting off of this game, yet the guy who's on the court who's sweating isn't. Exactly. Like So you're proposing the separation of sport and school. Yeah, and I mean, not to get too far <laughs> off the topic, but we see that we're the only country in the world that has these two super tied, you know what I mean? At a at a higher education level, I mean, of course, every every academy throughout Europe, the kids do study, they get, you know, they get the equivalent, I think, of a high school diploma. Um, but at the same time, you know, you probably don't need to know what a mole is or study chemistry if you're going to be banging in goals for Bayern or Lyon. You know what I mean? Like, cool, learn how to read and write and study some cool books. But like, at the end of the day, are you really going to remember the quadratic formula or uh, trying to think what other things I don't remember from high school? <laughs> but it's hard to remember what you don't remember. So, but all right, moving it along, but keeping it within women's soccer. The United States women's national team has officially filed a lawsuit against the United States Soccer Federation about equality. Uh, this is groundbreaking because we, we, as we saw back in 2015 when the World Cup was in Canada, a lot of the, not even just the United States women's team, but a lot of players from other teams across the world were complaining about the state of the, of the pitch that they were playing on in Canada. They were talking about how, you know, the, it wasn't equal and all of these things, but where it's been the most interesting is the fact that the United States women's national team have won three World Cups. They are the most successful national team on the planet. They have won three more World Cups than the U.S. men have ever even gotten close to. Yet, for winning the 2015 World Cup, the women received, I don't even remember what the percentage was, but it was significantly less than the men. And the men have never won. Like, when was the last time the U.S. won a major tournament? Never. Maybe a gold cup here or there, but I mean, they got to the round really? of sixteen once. Louis FIFA doled out four hundred million in prize money for the twenty eighteen men's world cup, including thirty eight million to France, the champions, and FIFA allocated thirty million in prize money for the entirety of the uh, twenty nineteen women's world cup. That's ridiculous. That's literally less than what France got for winning the world cup for the whole tournament. So. The way I feel, I 100% support the women, you know what I mean? They deserve equal pay, they work just as hard as the men, they they win more than the men, they deserve it all. But it's it almost sounds like the issue is coming from FIFA, you know what I mean? If FIFA can figure out their side of it, there's... I get it, you know, the, men, the I'm sure the men's game's making more money, more revenue, I understand. But there's gotta be something they can do to lessen that gap, you know what I mean? You're talking over $300 million in, in a difference. So I think that this FIFA, the the prize money from FIFA, it illustrates a good point um, because it is ridiculous, you know, but you also have to remember that the men's game brings in a certain amount of money that the women's game doesn't quite yet. It's getting there and it's building. I think the main issue behind this lawsuit is more about how much the United States Soccer Federation itself pays the men's team versus paying the women's team the fifa point super important because it shows the disparity across the whole world of women's soccer um but the main issue of this of the lawsuit is the fact that that within the united states soccer federation itself which isn't tied to the tv revenue necessarily is still deciding that the women should get paid less because from FIFA's standpoint, they're going to make a certain amount from sponsors, TV rights, etc. Versus the United States Soccer Federation, 
it's just it seems to just be them being dicks and not wanting to pay the women more than the men, which they absolutely deserve more than the men. Oh, absolutely. And it's just crazy because, I mean, look at what they're winning. The women are generally competing on all fronts. They're taking, they're, like I said, they have three World Cups. They might get a fourth this summer. It's, it's crazy. I went to, I, we went to a Women's World Cup game and we saw the atmosphere. We saw how, many, how people were into it. There's no reason those women don't deserve to get paid the same. There's no reason they don't, they don't deserve some kind of increase in, in, in pay and revenue. You know what I mean? Adidas has said that they're going to start paying the women the same World Cup bonus that the men get, which is a step in the right direction. Yeah, but it's step way too late. This is no, but it's I don't know if it's necessarily too late, Not but yeah, it's, I guess so. It's a huge move by Adidas because it's hard to talk about money because it comes from so many different, you know, avenues, I guess. Right. Because you have FIFA, you have the United States Soccer Federation, but then you have to also remember the side from the sponsorships. Right. So if Adidas was sponsoring probably a lot of these players, a lot of these teams, they also give out prize money and like they allocate their cash for the tournament. The fact that they are coming out and supporting this whole equality movement and even themselves saying, hey, we're going to pay them the same. I think that's killer. I think that's a big move because if companies like Adidas and if who knows if Nike can get behind this as well, that's going to put pressure on other people to start changing how they view women's soccer and women's sports, hopefully in general. You also got to think about it like this too, is like you also got to hold the men's team kind of accountable as well. Like they, they're, teammates with these women they support they're they're fighting the same fight for the uh the country or they should be in theory exactly they should take a page out of norway's book the men signed a historic agreement to literally split their wages with the women so they get paid the equal amount and honestly like the men should too remember who has the gold star above their crest and who doesn't right and i think it's just like you're fighting for the same thing. You're fighting to make your country, or in this case, the United States, be a champion. Whether or not you win or don't, it's a matter of, you know, it's important, of course, but it's also a matter of, like, you're representing your country. You're there fighting for your country. So why is one team compensated more than the other? I just, I don't like that. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, for those of you who might still be thinking, oh, man, but the women's game, it's not even anything big. You're wrong. Like Egg said, we, me, Mikey, and Egg, and a couple of friends actually went up to Montreal back in 2015, and we went to uh, a Women's World Cup game. It was awesome. The atmosphere was fun. It was a really good time. And the players on show, they're top quality. They are good athletes, and they are really good at what they do. So from a a technical standpoint, from an ability standpoint, they are just there. They are there with the men. There is no difference, in my opinion, I would actually love to see the U.S. women play the U.S. men and see who would win. <laughs> a part of me would probably put money on the women. You think so, really? Absolutely. I think. Dude, the, the, the I would. Have, I would absolutely love to see it too. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, the men have a size advantage in their favor, but these women are good. Obviously, we've seen them play. They they have skill at their feet. So, ideally, they could overcome that. And I think to your point, what, what's really important is that with soccer, in my opinion, as a man, I think that. Soccer is a sport that's very different than, say, uh, basketball or football, where it's not so reliant on brute strength because, you know, we've seen that, hell, there are women that can kick my ass out there. I'll, I can guarantee you that. No, you don't say. No. <laughs> but what, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, yes, men and women are built genetically different, but in a sport like basketball or football where it would be more about 
like brutal strength or, or things like that. Soccer is a game that it can be played in so many different ways and so many different styles where you don't have to worry about a size advantage or a physical strength advantage because we've seen players who are small and tricky and we've seen players like Peter Crouch in the men's game that are seven feet tall and that's kind of it. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of Peter Crouch's thing. Go stand near the goal and be tall, right? So when it comes to soccer, I think that there, it's a completely level playing field. It's not a, a, a kind of sport where it's like, oh, the men are stronger, they're better. Like, no, in my opinion, because of the way the sport exists, it's it's it can be won by anybody. And so I genuinely think that the U.S. women's team would beat the men's team. No, you know, actually, you have a really good point there. I mean, think of, for example, when we play Mexico. Mexico's not a big team at all. You know what I mean? They're small guys, fast, athletic. speaking. Right, right, right. Their, their team's not the tallest but we struggle playing them every single time. And we, you mean? The uh, the men's. Oh, sorry. The yep. U.S. men's. See, yeah, see? yeah, I don't play the Mexico team myself, trust <laughs> me. I'm not at that level. No, but I think you make a super good point because genetically speaking, you kind of look at the men's team and the Mexican, the U.S. men's team and the Mexican team. Overall, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the U.S. team might be slightly taller, but at the same time, I feel like the Mexican team is a little, even if they're a little bit shorter in stature, they're a little bit speedier and trickier than the men's team. And Mexico wins most times. You know what I Unfortunately, mean? Unfortunately, so, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think that it is a big, big part of it where, you know, because the the way that soccer is, I think the, the, the playing field is level. I honestly really do think the women will beat the men too. Yo. I'd bet money. Sydney LaRue skinning everybody on the... I bet you five-month-old pregnant Sydney LaRue would still smoke the U.S. men's team. Like, who's going to stop Alex Morgan? And If Alex Morgan <laughs> could play as a forward for the U.S. men's team, I'm sure we would have scored more goals at the last World Cup. Carly Lloyd would literally outrun everyone on that men's de- uh, midfield. Easy. I'd put money on Carly Lloyd just absolutely outplaying Michael Bradley. Ten times I could 10. probably outplay Michael Bradley, though. Um, I'm going to hard disagree with that one, boys. No offense. <laughs> yeah, I see you on the Tuesday night men's league team tearing up the turf. Quick side question. Who gets who gets carded faster, Louie or Michael Bradley? <laughs> Louie, without question, dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you know what? Let's... Anyway, moving along. Um, it'll still be interesting to see how this story develops. The Women's World Cup is coming this summer in france and it's gonna be a hell of a party also i don't know if you guys saw this but tickets sold out for the women's world cup in 30 minutes so when i'm telling you guys that it's growing and people care and it's actually an amazing time i'm not kidding like i'm not trying to sell you something i'm telling you what is happening like i had no idea that i didn't even know that's insane like like i said before i've been to a game they're they're amazing it's arguably the u.s germany game we went to was arguably one of the best if not the best live game i've ever seen in my life you know what I mean? The fact that they sold out in 30 minutes, that's not a coincidence. But alrighty, guys, moving along to our main story of the week. So recently, there's been some very uh, kind of disturbing news coming out of New York City FC. There have been reports of far-right extremists uh, being kind of ingrained into the New York City FC supporters section. The fact that some of the club's fans were extremists gained publicity when one of them, Irvin Antillon, I don't know if I pronounced your name right, actually I don't give a fuck because you're a dickhead anyway, 
he was involved in a brawl outside of an event featuring one of the founders of the far-right group, The Proud Boys, last October. And uh, Irvin Antelon has actually been a pretty uh, ardent supporter of New York City FC. So this was really shocking for some. Um, but I don't know what the Proud Boys are. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know if I've ever heard about heard of these guys. So the Proud Boys. Oh, B, take it away, my um, man. Proud Boys are founded by Gavin McGinnis. Um, to, he was also the co-founder of Vice Media. So I actually oh, read what? a book about this dude, his biography. He grew up in Canada. And the dude is fucking wild. Like, just the weirdest shit has gone on in his life. And doesn't surprise me after really kind of looking into the Proud Boys that they're a pretty much, they're far-right, conservative, fraternal group spreading anti-political correctness and anti-white guilt. So there are a bunch of white dudes who are like, woe is me, because they don't like what's going on. And it spawned during the campaign of 2016. So that kind of spurred that. But the event that they were protesting at, or where the fight broke out, was actually an event where Gavin McGinnis came in with a samurai sword, like a plastic one. Oh. (laughs) And it was to celebrate the death of this socialist Japanese leader in the 60s and this 17-year-old kid who is far right came up while it was on tv and killed him with a samurai sword oh. on tv you can probably see it i couldn't this see is... it because i was in school today i didn't want to get any flags on my name like okay what's he looking at but yeah this and so gavin mcginnis totally irrelevant but gavin mcginnis had a plastic samurai sword okay so so to kind of recap that the proud boys Bad people. Yes. Okay. Cool. That's <laughs> In short, very, very bad people. Okay, so we'll take we'll take that as the biggest. I just needed to share <laughs> that with somebody. No, I'm no, really that, glad you. That was interesting as hell. Honestly, I'm really glad you did. I'm just a little confused and terrified, but it's okay. We're we're gonna move along. Um, but that brawl in, uh, involving Irvin Antonin was not the first time that the fan base had kind of the New York City FC fan base had kind of displayed an ang- uh, ugly side. Uh, supporters first complained to New York City FC about the far right uh, supporters during the team's first season, actually. So way back in 2015, when a small group began chanting neo-Nazi slogans at a home game, they identified themselves as members of the B- Battalion 49, a skinhead group, and attached their account iconography to the club's logo and imagery uh, later that season in the first ever game against local rivals the new york red bulls battalion 49 and members of various red bull supporter groups fought near red bull arena in jersey if that sounds familiar to you we covered that slightly during the hooliganism episode and we talked about why hooliganism hasn't really uh started that much in, in the united states or has kind of come up in the united states we kind of dismissed this as a little brawl and i apologize to anybody who listened to that episode and thought we weren't giving it its due justice we just didn't think it was this crazy and so basically just wanted to shout out uh jason who messaged us on our culture fc facebook page shortly after we posted that episode about hooliganism and honestly this dude blew my mind and opened my mind to all of these things that we're we're going to be talking about in this episode way before this became uh mainstream media news uh like jason sent us a picture that was kind of going around the internet about uh some of these far-right extremists that they're all singled out and this was back when the things had just kind of broken so i really just wanted to give jason a shout out for first of all just opening my eyes to it and really bringing uh this to our attention way back when you know we like i said we've been gone for four months so we haven't covered it but i'm glad we get to do it now i find it kind of ridiculous that people knew about this in 2015 what seems like and 
were just hearing about this in 2019. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's kind of exactly what we did on the podcast all those months ago. We thought it was a bunch of silly, isolated incidents. But what's happened since 2015 and 2019 that has sparked more far-right extremism? I don't know. Certain president got elected, (laughs) and a lot of people have been using him as the basis to fuel hate. And so, yeah. Like, imagine being one of these guys who takes off their MAGA hats before each game, puts on their fucking jersey, and goes and... screams neo-nazi salutes like fuck you guys like and okay so all of this you know we're, we're talking about all this stuff going on in new york city fc games what is even more shocking than all of this has been the response or should i say the lack of response by don garber the commissioner of major league soccer when asked point blank recently i think last week about far-right extremism at games, literally talking about this very specific instance with uh, New York City FC and these skinheads and far-right extremists, his exact words were, our job is not to judge and profile any fan. And I, to a, a part of me wants to be like, you know what? I kind of see where he's coming from as commissioner. You can't really police specific fans because you know, you're going to have to watch them. But then I also think about that and I go, Fuck that, dude. It's really easy if you just repeat after me real quick. If you had just said these words. All right, everybody ready? Nazis are bad. Nazis are bad? Nazis are bad. And that's all you have to say. No one's telling you to go arrest these guys yourself, Don Garber. What we're saying is just say the words Nazis are bad. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I read his comments, it really brought to my mind what President Trump said about the Charlottesville people where he said that they were good people on both sides like come on now like that's just like like, and especially he's he's a commissioner of the mls you know what i mean he has the tools to deal with this you're telling me there's nothing he can do about these people you know what i mean like he's he's a man in charge what's weird to me in this whole situation is that the mls has cracked down more on fans displaying anti-racism and anti-fascist messages than they having confiscated a banner at a seattle sounders game that had anti-racism banners than they were against actual fascism and actual extremism so it's just very strange to me as to how it is that you can in your head make it normal that you're going to go take away an anti-fascism banner but you can't tell the media that nazis are bad like i'm sorry like your job as commissioner isn't just as a businessman you also are a, a symbolic figurehead like what you say carries weight so even if you just said the words nazis are bad we don't condone that it would have sounded a million times better. Especially in a time where racism is such a big thing in soccer right now. Like how often do you hear monkey chants and bananas getting thrown at players? Like, especially if this is your commissioner as a player, you want to hear something that will make you feel more comfortable with playing in that league. But for him to basically be allowing people and not profiling people that profile other people and say things about them is ridiculous. You know what I mean? You're basically like, okay, be racist, cool. Yeah, and kind of like what Mike said, this is your commissioner. Think about if you're an opposing player coming coming to play NYCFC. You don't want to play against them. You don't want to be there. You don't want to essentially put on a show for this for this crowd. Yeah, and I guess what's what are the next steps or like what what else could be done you know i mean to take it as far as playing in empty stadiums or you know 
taking pages out of the books of European clubs who still have yet to erase the same problem, but have taken steps to try to eradicate it. Right. And you would hope so. But the problem be with that is that you need a strong league to condemn these things and then say, hey, you're going to play a match behind closed doors. But unfortunately, it seems like the MLS is so worried about making money and trying to grow as a league because I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I can't imagine the MLS telling New York City that you're going to have to play in an empty uh, Yankee stadium. They would never. You know how much money the league would lose? And the team would lose money. And so the MLS is so much more worried about their money and their public image, which is contradictory because this is making them look really fucking bad. It's just like the MLS can be so much more, but the fact that they're playing into the American League culture where it's not about what the players want, it's about what the owners want to benefit the most is absolutely like, it just says, it basically gives the MLS a ceiling. We could aim to be like La Liga, have that type of EPL type of impact on US sports, but we'll never get that chance because of the small-minded and not being able to tell people that they're banned from the stadium. Well, so they actually did ban six of the members of these far-right extremist groups from ever attending New York City FC games. But the truth is, that wasn't all of them. And in reality, New York City as a team have actually known about a lot of these extremists, and they've been called out directly to the team far in advance. So the MLS and New York City have known about these extremists within the supporters' culture of New York City, and only six of the people who were involved in the brawl have been banned from New York City games. So, uh, you know, six people isn't that many. And it's just like, you really just got to say you will not stand for this. Like, I just don't understand why it's so difficult. Yeah, literally. Like, there's clubs in other countries, South America's and stuff like that, that have literally banned supporter groups, entire groups. Literally, some groups, some fan groups, even if they support their teams or diehards, they're not allowed because of what they've done, and they should, you know what I mean, that whatever group they are, they shouldn't be allowed in, the whole group. And I will say, uh, some of the organized supporters groups for New York City FC, especially the third rail, they've distanced themselves from uh, this overall picture that's been kind of painted about New York City FC's extremist uh, supporters. Uh, there's a lot of people there who are, are uncomfortable about how accepting uh, New York City FC and the MLS have been about these extremists. So a lot of these guys have been like, you know what? That's not how we are. We're going to do our thing over here. Like, we're going to support New York City FC the way we do. But, you know, they've tried to distance themselves. So it's it's rough, man. And I mean, like, you know, when you compare it to other parts of the world, yeah, there are other clubs that, you know, they're known for their far-right extremism. For example, I think of uh, Lazio, uh, very far-right extremists. They were, you know, Benito Mussolini was, he was like, he was in love with that club and he made them be like what they are today. And they're very accepting of, you know, far right extremism. I mean, I, I forget the player that played for them that after he scored, he did a Nazi salute. It was all over the news. And, but the problem with that is that in Italy, like they could get sanctioned and UEFA would overstep, uh, the Serie A in, in Italy and be like, no, you're not going to play a game with, with people there in the stands and you're going to have to ban these people. But, Unfortunately, I think that the biggest issue we're looking at is that this is bigger than the MLS is trying to portray it as. And MLS's response to this is so inadequate that 
it's it's kind of shameful because unfortunately I wish it were as simple as saying, oh, but if they're not doing anything, nothing's going to happen. But when you don't do anything, you're breeding this hatred because you're allowing other people to do it and see that you're, they're not going to get punished for it. Okay, cool. Some of these guys, they're, maybe they're just not fighting each other, but it's just like, think about it. If you were at school and you wrote, drew a swastika anywhere, you would be probably banned from that school forever and oh, the police would be called. Absolutely. Without a doubt. But now you're telling me that if I were to start, you know, rocking neo-Nazi symbolism and, and like chanting neo-Nazi things at a New York City game, you can't even tell me that's wrong. Right. And how long if, if you don't if you don't cut this group down before they, they before they get too big, how, how much longer until another team has to deal with it? How much longer until now that you have five MLS clubs who have the same neo-Nazi problems, 10 MLS clubs, half your league has that problem? You know what I mean? If you don't stop it when it becomes one, how do you stop it when it becomes five? Uh, yeah, exactly. Basically, what we're trying to say, Don Garber, get your head out of your ass, sack up, and stand up for your players because this is absolutely bullshit. There shouldn't be groups like this allowed into any MLS games. And you know what I think about, too? Like, I know this might be even just going way too far. Like, this country's come so so far in terms of, you know, racism and, and race relations. And, like, luckily for a very long time, the MLS hasn't necessarily had to deal too much with, with racism. You know what I mean? At least not reported the way it is in Europe. So would it, it, this could, in theory, almost open the floodgates for racism at games and, and, and things of that nature where we see it on a larger scale because... Unfortunately, the political landscape in America is shifting. This isn't a political podcast, and I'm not going to sit here and start bringing up politics. But unfortunately, it does matter, and it does relate. You know, you know what's stopping now? If if this is how Don Garber reacts to you know extremism and far right people, like how how is he going to deal with real racism problems, or how is he going to deal with with the next problem? Like. MLS seems like they're so ready to just sweep things under the rug to kind of keep growing as a league that they're not even taking into account what's going on in the day-to-day. He's setting a precedent, a very weak one at that, and it's, just, it's embarrassing. The MLS wants to be this next big, great league. You want to be great? You want to prove to people you're great? Show them that. Deal with this head-on the way it should be dealt with and show them that you're a great league and a great commissioner, you know what I mean? A great leader for, your, for all the teams and everybody in, in the league. Do we think it'll happen, though? You think... Oh, no. I, I mean, judging by how long it's gone now, nothing's happened? Probably not, as sad as it is to say. And especially given how he responded to this, like, it wasn't like a reporter asked him a roundabout question. He asked him a very pointed question about what needs to be done about this at New York City FC, and he says, and his exact words again, where our job is not to judge and profile any fan. And, like, I, I want to say I kind of get it because you don't want to, like be prejudiced towards certain fans but at the same time there is evidence there is this is happening it's not a a fictional thing it's i really don't see don garber changing his message because he hasn't changed his message on other things and he i don't see him changing i don't see him reacting in a better way you got to think about like all the other commissioners in the big leagues as well like adam silver would not have let that stand absolutely not like to me like if you're a commissioner to any of these leagues, you want to be held. To, you want to hold yourself to that standard. He is an incredible commissioner. We're not here to, you know, what I mean, ask kiss or whatever. But like, you have to set a precedence. I'm with you. I fuck with Adam Silver. Big fan. Yeah, like he's the man. We're not gonna talk about Goodell because Goodell's trash. <laughs> Fire Goodell. Fuck Goodell. Fuck Garber. 
No, I think that's a major point. I mean, I think Adam Silver should be looked at uh, and and emulated. I mean, just the way that he deals with the things at the NBA is incredible. Um, and it's it's a very funny thing to be talking about this because for American soccer fans, this is all new kind of stuff dealing with far right extremism and dealing with polit- politics within soccer. But if you followed soccer in Europe for any length of time, you'll know that it's always been present. It's always been a thing. And so clubs in Europe had to crack down on these kind of political stances decades ago. They, they, of course they had the benefit of, of uh, not, I don't even want to say benefit because it's actually a bad thing for them, but they've been dealing with this for so long that European clubs seem to be a little bit better at it. I'm not saying that there there's a hundred percent. No, none of these issues. Like I said, Lazio is still very uh, far right. And at least some of their fans, but you know, it's just fascinating to me from a neutral standpoint to think like, man, like the fact that the MLS is dealing with this now, it's just very weird in 2019. You know what I mean? Like this is like old school bullshit. Exactly. And like you've said, like this isn't the first time it's happened. And obviously like it's happened before, like learn from the past, learn from others. Like you have to be able to swat out this bullshit immediately. And now people are going to be judging the league People are going to be judging NY, NYCFC, like the third rail. Like, imagine being part of a fan group supporting a group, and everyone that you talk to about your club is like, oh, fuck them. That's th- Those are the racists. Right. And, like, you're not. And imagine being a, a part of, like you said, imagine being in a group that you know you're not a racist. You're like, I just support New York City FC, but now we're all branded as these far right extremists, despite the fact that it's only a couple people. It goes to show that really a couple, fe- a couple people can really fuck up a whole environment for everyone else and what's actually been even more shocking um as i've been kind of perusing this topic on twitter too is that people like alexi lalas defending uh mls commissioner don garber and i don't want to keep drawing too many like crazy conclusions but you know alexi lalas is on fox sports and fox is owned by the same people who own the fox network and there is a link with that and donald trump in this far-right extremism look I'm I'm not saying anything new. If you if you you know I don't want to be too political here, where I'm turning people off. But these links exist. All right, is all I'm saying. And Louis a little full conspiracy mode. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. Love it. He's gonna uh, shut himself in tonight. But it 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 is bad when you have people like Alexi Lalas defending Don Garber and his message because, unfortunately, Alexi Lalas has the ear of the public in soccer. Unfortunately, I think he's a dumbass, and I don't. Most of the things that he says about soccer are 100% wrong. Couldn't agree more. And so, unfortunately, he does hold a lot of of weight in a soccer conversation within America. And it's just really fucked up to think that... It just sucks that he is just putting more fuel to the fire by trying to defend Don Garber. Like, dude. And people portray this guy as a U.S. legend. Like, you, you have to be for where you played. You have to be for your country. And all you're doing is setting them backwards with this. By agreeing with shit that shouldn't be agreed with. But what's really bad and what actually paints MLS in an even poorer light when it comes to this topic is that LAFC is working together with their independent supporters group, the 3252, to root out a the homophobic puto chant that sometimes gets, like, that gets sung around the stadium. Um, and it just shows that there are other teams working with their supporters group to fix the problems because they want to work together to create an awesome environment. And so it's just a, again, I know I've said it 70 million times already, but it's just a really bad look for New York city and MLS. 
I'm telling you right now, guys, if you've ever gone to a soccer game, it is 100% more electric than any sporting event you've been to, NFL, NBA, and it's just like... No, but but I think Mikey makes a very important point. It's that we say this literally every episode, but soccer is so much more than just a game, and it really does take on... Uh, it's essentially a canvas for what life is gets transformed into the game through the fans and through culture around the stadium it's it's so much more than just the game being played on a field because it's it's all the things about life coming together during a game so unfortunately it it has happened in the past where politics does seep through but we just got to keep the bullshit out of the game all right and i think that's probably a good place to end our discussions there unless anybody has uh any final words on nazis in american soccer no nazis are bad dude for sure yeah i yep i can easily second that one uh fuck nazis fuck don garber you see don garber if somehow you manage to ever get a hold of an episode of this it's really not hard to say to a bunch of people fuck nazis they are bad don garber follow me on twitter i will help you i will help you fix this i promise hit my guy with the dm you know what i mean he's got ideas here don garber please well there you have everyone another episode in the books please let us know what you think send us a dm comment write us a review let us know how we're doing please let us know how we can get better and like i said last week we have a lot of cool new stuff in the works for you guys so make sure you're following us on twitter make sure you're following us on instagram because that's where we're gonna be posting a majority of our news and make sure you're following our youtube as well just search treble we should be the first thing that pops up if not i will link in the description below but that is it for this week Catch us again next week for another episode of Culture FC. And if you want to hear anything, if you want us to talk about anything, send us a DM. Uh, Find us on Facebook, Instagram. Shoot, comment on one of our YouTube videos. Just let us know what you want to hear. Any feedback would be great.